Glad you could be with us today. Uh, it is a special day uh, for us as believers. It's a special day <clears throat> uh, to worship the Lord uh, as we talk about the crucifixion. And I want to ask the question this morning, why? Why was the crucifixion important? Why was it so important to us? Why is it that the crucifixion uh, is the central focus and theme uh, of our Christianity? Uh, <clears throat> you see, he was taken and he was pronounced innocent on three different occasions, but he was condemned and crucified by the will of his own people. And after six hours on the cross, he commended his spirit into his father's hand, and he gave up the ghost and died. And when the Roman soldiers came to break his legs, he was dead already. And a Roman soldier would know, because they were experts in death. They knew how to kill somebody, and looking at him, they knew he was dead. But just to be sure, he plunged a spear into his side, and uh, blood and water came forth from it. So he was dead. And we've all seen dead people from time to time. There's an unmistakable look from death, isn't there? When you look at somebody who's dead, there's, it's real, it's there. Jesus was dead. His followers had followed him and they had seen all the things that he did. And he was dead. And though he had told them he was going to raise, rise again, they saw him dead. That's too real. That's too real to second guess and think, you know what? Maybe he's going to come back. Maybe what he said is true. So they bought the reality of the fact that he was dead. But he didn't stay dead. Look in your bulletins. The verses are in your bulletins that we're going to read right now. <clears throat> Luke 16, verse 2 through 14. Sorry, Mark 16, verse 2 through 14. It's in, your, it's in your bulletin there, so it's handy for you to find. We couldn't let the resurrection morn pass without reading the account, one of the accounts of, by the way, there's a great one in John that you should read before the day is over. Uh, the account of the resurrection in John. Uh, it's in John chapter 20. Uh, Luke 16, verse 2. And very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? See, they weren't expecting to find uh, a resurrection. They, they, they were expecting to have to face the difficult task of moving this stone. Right? <clears throat> Even that they loved him. But because they loved him, his death was all the more real, and there was no way uh, it, it, it could not be. And when they looked, they saw the stone was rolled away, for it was very large. They could see the stone, and as they got close to it, it, was, it, it, it had been rolled away already. Uh, and entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were frightened. And he said unto them, Be not afraid, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. He is risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. And the reality of what Jesus said is now beginning to dawn on them. It's just beginning. He is not here. He is risen. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. Uh, there shall ye see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. 
And she went and told those that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, believed not. Remember, this, this death thing is so real, there was no way they could imagine that he was alive now. They, they, they just couldn't conceive of it. And yes, he had spoken it to them on many occasions. So many occasions that the Pharisees knew that he'd promised this. So that that's why they asked, for the, um, uh, for, uh, they asked Pilate to give them a guard to guard the tomb. But he was so dead. They couldn't conceive of it. Uh, verse 12, after that he appeared in another form <clears throat> unto two of them as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told it to the rest, but neither did they believe them. Afterward he appeared to the eleven as they sat at meat, and he upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not those who had seen him after he was risen. He upbraided them because they were having a hard time believing. Now we believe. It's very easy for us to believe. I've... <clears throat> Celebrated many Easter's at this point, and you know it's it, 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 it's a story that we've heard over and over again, and we've kind of bought into it because you know what everybody else around us has bought into it. But you know what? There's a reality and a power in the resurrection that if we access it, our lives can never be the same again. That if we actually take on board the power of the resurrection, <clears throat> uh, it changes our lives. You see, the life of the Lord is marked by <clears throat> strange happenings. Somebody said this, that the Lord, <clears throat> that he came into the world through a door marked no entrance, a virgin birth. How can you be born by a virgin birth? And he left uh, through one marked no exit. But our subject this morning is the resurrection. We're looking at why the resurrection. Why was it that the Lord chose, that God chose uh, to resurrect his son from the dead? And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to try and bite into the truth on it for a few minutes here. And may it change our lives. Our text uh, it's up on the screen there for you. Romans 1.3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. He was declared to be the son of God. He was not made son of God by the resurrection. He was the son of God. But he was declared, it was shown, it was declared, it was made sure to us. He was declared to be the Son of God, uh, <clears throat> according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, would you bless us this morning as we look to your word. Lord, may it be real. Uh, may the story that we've heard so often not be something that just <clears throat> touches us only, Lord, but may it be something that changes us, that turns our lives around, that sends us in a different direction. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Why the resurrection? Jesus did some amazing things. He fed thousands of people out of virtually nothing more than once. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine people whose real biggest fear uh, was food, and you have somebody who can actually, just like that, feed 5,000 people out of virtually nothing? He's pretty important. They wanted to make him king, by the way, on the head of that, because that, that, that was about as important as it got as far as they were concerned, uh, feeding them. Uh, he healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He loosed the tongues of those that couldn't speak. Uh, people were carried in, crippled, uh, unable to walk, and they walked out carrying their beds with them. He did amazing things. He even raised the dead. Recently, he had raised Lazarus from the dead, and in fact, uh, if you can have something that goes viral uh, in the first century, that went viral in the first century. See, Lazarus was, was dead for four days. 
He was in the tomb. The tomb was sealed. And when it came to to opening the tomb, because Jesus wanted to raise him, his sister said, no, no, Lord, he stinketh. Don't open the tomb. The smell is going to be vile. But they opened the tomb, and Jesus called Lazarus forth, and Lazarus came forth bound in his grave clothes. And everybody went, whoa. And they started telling everybody around them, insomuch that people were beginning to believe on Jesus because of Lazarus. And the Pharisees wanted to put Lazarus to death again uh, because his resurrection was causing such a stir and causing the people to believe. And so he had done amazing things. He had shown himself to be an extraordinary person at least. He had shown himself to be somebody, you know, that was different from every other person that had ever, ever walked. He had actually fulfilled many of the signs the Messiah was supposed to fulfill. But there was one more, one more thing that he was going to do that was going to, without doubt, prove who he was. He was going to rise from the dead. See, he said he was the Messiah, he was the Son of God, but how would you prove that? How would you make that sure for people? How would you actually make it so that was real and that was true? Anybody could say they were the Messiah. Anybody could say that they were God. But how would you prove it? How would you show it to be true? Uh, He said he would be taken by the Jews and crucified three days, and three days later he would rise again. That was the proof. And by the way, he had been saying it for quite some time. It wasn't something that he'd started saying in the last few days of his life. Uh, He'd been saying it all through his ministry, basically. You see, he had been telling them what was going to happen. Uh, In Matthew 16 and verse 21, uh, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So he began to speak it. He began, and he spoke it again and again. He told the disciples again and again. He announced it in his preaching again and again that he was going to die and be buried and r- rose again. And it's interesting that the Pharisees actually did get a hold of it. They didn't expect him to rise again. But for the Pharisees, what they thought was, they thought, you know, <clears throat> listen, uh, this story uh, could really do us damage if it gets out there. Some, they could steal his body and, and hide it somewhere, and then everybody will think he's the Messiah. Well, they didn't have to steal his body, because he did rise. He did come forth out of the grave. He showed that he was God, and he came out of the grave. In John eight fifty eight, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, that's an incredible statement. You know, you and I can say, well, I am. I am at LifeGate Bible Baptist Church today. Uh, We can say, I am whatever age we are. But, you know, we can't look back in time and say, I am. You know, what what happens if if you you look back in time and say, I am, people are going to send you back to English class. You learn your tenses, right? But he could say before Abraham was, thousands of years before him, before Abraham was, not I was even, but before Abraham was, I am. He didn't, wasn't getting it wrong. He wasn't mixing up uh, his statements. How do you mean, even, even if it was he was, how, how was he before Abraham? Well, because he's the eternal God. You, you don't believe it? You don't, you don't believe he was claiming to be that? Look what the, 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 the Pharisees decided to do. Then they took up stones to cast at him. Why? Because he was claiming to be God. Before Abraham was, I am. You see, Jesus had life before he had a body. Jesus was around forever. 
He took on human flesh. He became incarnate. In other words, God went into a human baby and he grew up as a human being. But he had always been God. He had always been God. And you know what? That would be a hard thing to take from somebody, wouldn't it? That would be a hard thing. You know, listen, you, you look human. You know, if we prick you, you bleed. You know, um, how, how, how is it that you can say you were? I, before Abraham was, I am. Because he was fully God. And always, you see, Jesus had life long before he had a body. And as bad as the crucifixion was, what he's going to do is he's going to <clears throat> cast off what Paul calls in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, this, this tent. He's going to cast off this tent, but then he's going to do the incredible thing of taking the tent up again. Nobody there to do it for him. He's going to do it himself. You say, I thought God resurrected him from the dead. Well, yes, God did, but he is God, so that's the same thing. You see, Jesus had life outside of his body. He had eternal life. And when he died and went to the grave, he rose again from the grave. He did the absolutely impossible. He did the impossible. He raised himself from the dead. And he was declared to be the Son of God. You see... <clears throat> And they took up stones uh, to cast him. Look what else he said, though. Uh, in John 3, th sorry. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me read you these verses, right? John 10, 30. Uh, I and my Father are one. Again, he was saying, he wasn't just saying that, you know, uh, me and my Father are pretty close. He was saying we're one and the same. He wasn't saying we're the same person. He was saying we're the same. We're one. <clears throat> um... Then the Jews took up stones to stone him again. You see, really, they had a problem with him. The problem they had with him was this. He was claiming to be God. And, you know, that was blasphemy on their books. The problem is, he was. So what they considered to be blasphemy was truth. And it could only be received by those who would receive it. You see, Jesus was no ordinary man. He was fully God. Fully man, but also fully God. He claimed to be... <clears throat> By the way, in Matthew 26, he told Pilate this. He said, uh, <clears throat> uh, the, uh, sorry, the, 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 the Pharisees uh, said, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in, all coming in the clouds of heaven. Do you know that he's coming again? He's not done. He's coming again. He's coming back uh, to this earth. He's going to rule this earth for a thousand years, the Bible tells us. He's going to rule, rule, rule it uh, in perfection for a thousand years. Why? Because he's God. Secondly, though... <clears throat> It first, it proved that he was God. Secondly, it proved that he could save. You see, here's the thing. Jesus had told these people he could save them. Uh, John 3, 36. Uh, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Well, what's he talking about there? Uh, hath everlasting life. <clears throat> well, he's talking about 
the life he was going to give that people would have with him in heaven forever. You see, the truth is that you and I, all of us are going to live forever. The everlasting life Jesus was talking about, though, dictates where we're going to live. Are we going to live in heaven with him, or we're going to live separated from God forever in a place called hell? That's what he was talking about. When Jesus was giving us, was talking about giving us life, uh, everlasting life, uh, he was talking about saving us from the penalty of sin. He was talking about giving us a home in heaven. He was talking about giving us a different kind of a life completely. Look at John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now you say, but why would I come into condemnation? I'm a good person. The reason you would come into condemnation is because none of us are good people. I had to struggle with that when I got saved because, you know, my wife got saved before I did and uh, the pastor came and <clears throat> explained the gospel to me and told me that I was a sinner and I was would go to hell because of my sin. And I remember thinking, never going to happen. I'm good. I'm decent and honest in my business. I'm good to my family. This never going to happen. God would never send someone to, like me to hell. You know, the Spirit of God disagreed, though. And the Spirit of God got to work. By the way, you know, that's the interesting thing about the gospel. It's not just words that people preach that are the gospel. Uh, the Spirit of God takes those words and works them in your heart. And he can work them in your heart even right now. And, you know, you can ignore what somebody is saying to you quite easily. But you know what? Uh, you do yourself a terrible disservice if you ignore what the Spirit of God is saying to you. Don't, don't, don't ignore what he's saying to you. You know, we're all sinners. None of us are perfect. None of us get it all right. We all get it wrong. You say so. We all get it wrong. So what? Well, the problem is that there's a price. There's a penalty for sin. You see, the whole thing about Easter, the whole thing about the resurrection, the whole thing about the cross is we had a sin problem. We couldn't fix our sin problem. There was nothing we could do to get rid of our sin, to shed our sin. So you know what God did? God sent his son to pay the price for our sin. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. Your sin and my sin was on him. He was paying the price for it. And he's the only one that can pay for sin like that. Nobody else can pay for your sin except Jesus. He was the perfect son of God. That's why he had to be born of a virgin. Because he was never touched of sin. He came into the world a perfect human being, untouched by sin. He lived a perfect life and he offered himself a perfect sacrifice. And the father's wrath was assuaged in what Jesus did. The father accepted the sacrifice of the son in payment for your sin and for my sin. It's the greatest deal that's ever been. There's never been a deal like it. And you see, when Jesus rose from the dead, he proved, I can do it. I told you I would do it. I can do it. I can save you. And, you know, we come, we, 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 we celebrate the resurrection this morning, and that's wonderful. It's the most exciting story ever, isn't it? But, but don't miss the backstory. The backstory is... He came to prove to you that he could save you. So, so don't go out of this world without coming to the place where you surrender to him and let him save you. Don't do that. That would be foolishness. Because you are an eternal being. You will live forever. Either in heaven or in hell. That's why Jesus came. He came so that it could be different. So that you could spend an eternity with him. 
Well, she's something else, though. <clears throat> the resurrection proves that a new relationship with God is possible. A new relationship with God is possible. You know, we're born into a world where we long. We have aches, we have pains, we have difficulties. We get things all sorted out in our lives for about five minutes, don't we? And then something goes wrong again. We've got, we got aches, we've got pains, we've got difficulties, we've got problems, and we always do. There's always, because you know what? You were made for somewhere different. Yeah, our relationships don't satisfy, do they? Not completely. Oh, they can be good, and they can be sweet, and they can be blessed, but they're not perfect. Because, you know, we long for someone else. We're made for a relationship with someone different. And you, know, you won't find that person on this planet. You're made for a relationship with God. See, when Jesus was about to go back, <clears throat> was about to go to the cross, uh, he took his disciples aside and he, and he spent some time with them. And <clears throat> at the Last Supper, there was some real intimate close time. And, and then as they, as they walked to the garden, there was some real close time where he, where he told them some real sweet truths. And the sweet truths he told them are for you and I too. In John chapter 14, uh, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, it wasn't Judas Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus, Jesus had said he was going to show himself to them and not to the world. Uh, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now, what does it mean to make your abode with somebody? It means you're moving in, doesn't it? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about moving in. See, when Jesus died, he didn't die just to give us fire insurance to save us from hell. That wasn't wasn't all of it. He died to give us much more than that. He died to give us the possibility uh, of a relationship uh, with him. A new relationship is possible. You see, he died to give you new life. And Jesus said this about the new life. He said, I'm come to give them life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, how could your life be more abundant? Because of salvation, because of coming to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because you get the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You get the one who promises never to leave you nor forsake you. You know, in the whole story of the cross, uh, there's one of the things that always strikes me every time I read it. When Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And yet Hebrews 13 makes us a promise. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you know, because he was forsaken, because of my sin, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, what he promises you is salvation from your sin. You'll never have to pay the price for your sin in hell. But he promises you a relationship with him an enduring, sweet, fulfilling, satisfying relationship with him. Now, I want to catch your minds here. Some of you know what I'm talking about, and you're saved already. <clears throat> but he, notice what he says. If a man love me, he will keep my words. Do you know this new relationship is based on love? We love him because he first loved us. See, the cross demonstrates his love for us. And then the cross draws out of us his love. We love him because he first loved us and we love him back. And we love him back and we want to obey him. 
We want to do what he wants us to do. Now you say, yeah, that's the rub. I knew you were going to get the rub in somewhere. Uh, I have to obey, don't I? No, you know what? It's not like that. Old Testament religion was very much about what you had to do, and the emphasis and the focus was upon what the Jew had to do. And maybe you've been involved in a religion like that, where you, know, you, were <clears throat> you had to do, and you had to do, and you had to do. No, your new relationship involves you being in the place where because of this love relationship you have with him, you want to serve him. It's a different thing entirely. And the more you love him, the more you serve him. And the more you serve him, the more you love him. And you get involved in a relationship, the ultimate relationship that will satisfy when no other relationship can. See, when Jesus died, he proved he was who he said he was. He proved that he could save like he said he would. And he proved that the relationship he spoke to the disciples about was possible for you and I. And you know, you're here on Easter Sunday morning, and you're here with a longing inside you. Every one of us with a longing inside us. Every one of us longing for something. Every one of us longing for more. And you know, the answer is not going to be found in a church, and the answer is not going to be found in religion. The answer is going to be found in a person, Jesus Christ. The one who hung on the cross 2,000 years ago and died for you. The answer is going to be found in him. Now, here's the thing, though. You know, you've got a decision to make. You know, Jesus comes into our lives and he says, come unto me. He says it to us before we're saved. He says it to us after we're saved. He says, come unto me. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, come unto me. He says, take my yoke upon you. For I am meek and lowly, and my burden is light. But he says to you to come. And here's what you've got to do. If you're not saved this morning, you need to come to him. You can, you can do it. We'll, we'll put a prayer up on the board between you and him. You can cry out to him. And, and if you will come to him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I deserve death and hell. But your word says that you died for me. And if I believe, if I trust on you, you'd save me. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to do it. He'll never force it on you. He'll never put pressure on you, but if you ask him, he'll do it. And you come here, here this morning and you're his child. You're a believer. You, you know him. And you know, you say, but pastor, I don't have the relationship I want with him. It's a good place to come to in your life where you recognize you don't have the relationship you want with him because he wants that relationship with you. He wants it more than you do. And the resurrection proves that he can bring it. And if you will come to him this morning in your heart and cry out, Lord, I want more. I want more of you. I want this life abundant. I want this life you talk about. I want all there is to have of you. If you will come to him and cry out to him this morning, you know what? I guarantee you he won't disappoint you. I guarantee you he won't miss it with you. You see, the Bible says if you draw nigh unto him, he will draw nigh unto you, and it's always true. I don't understand it. 
I maybe never will. Why would God love me enough to send his son to die for me? Because I didn't care about him. I wasn't interested in him. I was interested in me and living my life. And yet he sent his son to die for me. You know, the Bible says if he gave us the son, would he not freely also give us all things? Isn't that true? If he was willing to give us his son, will he not also freely with him give us all things? Oh, listen, don't miss your opportunity today. God is speaking to you. Respond to him. Let's stand. I'm going to have a word of prayer. And then during the prayer, I'm going to put up on the screen a prayer. And you don't have to pray exactly this prayer, uh, a prayer for you to pray. Um, And if if you're not saved, you can cry out to him and he would save you today. If you are saved, you know what to do. You cry out to him, you Lord, I want more. The, the wanting more is contingent upon you obeying him, but not obeying him because it's the rules. Obeying him out of love. And if you will, out of love, obey him. Walk with him in this relationship. I guarantee you, he will give you the more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this people. Now, Lord, we come to you Grateful for a resurrected Savior. Grateful for a Savior who couldn't be kept in a tomb. Grateful, Lord, for work you did on Calvary for a people that didn't care. Now, Lord, if there be one in this room that does not know you as Savior, oh, Lord, may today be the day. May today be the day when they just cry out to you in their own words and from their own heart. And, oh, Lord, would you visit that one with salvation. And Lord, for your children that are gathered and that want more with you, blessed Spirit of the living God, we know that you have much more. Oh, Lord, would you pour it out in abundance and in blessing. In Jesus' precious name, amen.